1: Benjamin Solak, it's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 59, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael NFL. that's K-I-S-T, as always, Joined by the best doggone co host in the game, Mr. Eight Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S O L A K Ben. Belated Merry Christmas. How you doing, brother?
0: Hey, man. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Hope you had a good one. Hope you got good fun stuff. I'm always well. Never otherwise. I think every day is a good day to be alive. Yeah. But now I'm very happy to be back on the podcast. I don't know if you can hear. I sound a lot better. I'm not fully back, but I'm a lot better. And I'm very happy to be here. On the BJ Bellow show, Mike. BJ Bellow, critical part of the Eagles, uh, late push here in the season. And so I'm very excited that, uh, we got to the Bellow show before the season ended because he's been integral
1: you know we should have seen you becoming sick because on the previous show in which you were sick you had to sneeze there was that big but that, that dramatic moment where you had to sneeze and it was a big will they won't they type thing
0: yeah true exactly i really kept you guys down to the wire i honestly <laughs> think it was more because i wrongfully and i accept it and i i take it on myself i picked the houston texans to win mm. and i I was punished by the universe and by the listeners and by the Eagles uh, with pestilence, famine, flood, earthquake, just a whole, a whole slew of things, Mike. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm recovering now because I'm, I'm fully on board with the Eagles' playoff hopes. Uh, I fully believe they're going to make it. So uh, now, now I'm starting to get my health back.
1: That is good to hear. And obviously we have to do a refresher. I mean, we, we've talked about the path to the playoffs before. Yeah. We've explained it. It's very simple. It's Eagles win, Bears win. The Eagles are in.
0: Yeah. And it's important. The last time we talked about it, there was still the avenue by which they could get in via the Seahawks. Right. Which has now vanished. So yeah, the update is simply uh, the Bears play the Vikings now at 425 in Minnesota. The Eagles play the Washington Redskins at FedEx Field at 425. The Eagles need to beat the Redskins. And then they need the Vikings to lose to the Chicago Bears. Uh, that will make the Vikings 8-7-1. and That will make the Eagles 9-7. and It will give them a half game lead over the Vikings, they will be the sixth seed and they will play Chicago in Chicago in the wild card round of the playoffs.
1: And the outside factor in all of this is the Los Angeles Rams-San Francisco 49ers game. What happens if the Rams go up big early? How does that impact the Bears? Because the Bears are incentivized to play their starters only because they get the two seed. If the Rams lose now today, Patrick Finley of Chicago Sun-Times reported.
0: Love Patrick Finley. Great guy. He's the freaking man. First I've ever heard of him. Love him to death.
1: <laughs> he said that Bears head coach Matt Nagy said that the Bears are, are going to Minnesota to win, not to play their backups. He also said that if the Rams are up huge, emphasis on huge, there were multiple use. I mean, it's a big emphasis. They'll maybe consider pulling guys. But he said the score would have to be Extraordinary. Ben, that is fantastic news.
0: Yeah, so I I don't know exactly where it's going to be for Chicago. I, it's pro- the truth, as I, I always and, I, and this is one of my favorite expressions is somewhere in the middle. Right? Is Chicago going to rest their starters outright and be fine with losing? No. Is Chicago going to kill themselves to win a game that could potentially be completely meaningless? No. So it's going to be somewhere in the middle. The question is, where in the middle is it going to be? Ideal situation for Philadelphia. Chicago comes out with a relatively strong starter roster. You know they're not going to like you know like like oh Kyle Long might start this week. I'd be very surprised if Kyle Long started this week. That would surprise me because I, if it were I, I would not be trying to get one of my starters out there for week seventeen game that again doesn't really have too much of an impact if he's touch and go. So maybe a few guys uh, getting some injury, getting some rest day if they've been you know vibing on it for a long time, whatever. Then you get into the halftime. And that's the first time that Nagy looks at the Rams score. He sees what it is at halftime. Uh, and if it's still relatively close, if it's still like a, you know, two possession, you know, 14, 17 point game, he says, screw it. We're just going to make sure that, that we beat the Vikings here. And that's what's going to be important. That's the ideal situation. Unideal situation is literally somebody on the sidelines is just getting the Vikings game piped into their headset, which I don't even know if that's allowed or not. Um, <laughs> uh, but they're, they're constantly updating the score on the sideline and they're being very, very cautious. I can't take too much stock in what Nagy says out loud, because if you say on Wednesday, this is how, you know, we're going to approach the game, like, you know, we're, we we assume the Rams are going to beat the Niners, will you really paint yourself into a corner if the Rams and the Niners are tight? Right. Right? So you kind of have to say, even if that is your plan, to just say, listen, we're okay with losing to the Vikings, you still have to say, like, our intention is to go out there and win. So it, it's, I don't, I, you know, these are tough things to, to riddle out. We'll see what happens. The mo- the, the thing is that realistically, the Bears are a better team than the Vikings and should beat the Vikings, especially if they believe they have something to play for. Obviously, Philadelphia fans should be hoping for a strong San Francisco game, which San Fran has not been terrible. They were one score with the Chicago Bears last week, for goodness sakes. Uh, And there's a potential that Todd Gurley doesn't play. And while no Todd Gurley spelled actually a better Rams offense than we had seen last week, CJ Anderson, and they went more 12 personnel and they went heavier boxes and they really ran the football. Like, that was weird. Um, so, so, you know, is no Todd Gurley a good thing or a bad thing? It sounds weird to ask. Anyways, you gotta watch the Todd Gurley health. Yeah, there's too much stuff going on, man. Ah, you know, and, and this has been written many times, but you just beat the freaking Titans and you just beat the freaking Panthers. You beat the Dallas Cowboys once and this is a win and end situation. Yep. So. There you go.
1: Very frustrating indeed. So the topic of this show is not the playoff picture, but it's actually going to be an all 22 film review of the Eagles 32 to 30 win over the Houston Texans in week 16 of NFL football action. However, first, as always, we have some house cleaning to do the injury report or the estimated injury report for the Eagles. We're recording on a Wednesday. So this is all Wednesday news. Hopefully this will drop later tonight. But Did not participate Michael Bennett with a foot. Michael Bennett is not going to participate in any of these practices, and that's totally fine because they're going to rest him. They have been resting him. He has not missed time. Safety Corey Graham is sick. Cornerback Sidney Jones, hamstring, not expected to play again. Offensive tackle Jason Peters, again, is going to be on all of these reports, and we should. uh, I think he should be a go, but I think that he also may be day-to-day, but there are different levels of day-to-day. Who is this? Jason Peters. Yeah, okay. Also, Isaac Siamalu with the Peck, Quarterback Carson Wentz with the back. Steven news game replace of Isaac Siamalu I mean, it's really apples to apples, so not really concerned with that too much. Limited participation. DJ Alexander is in all of these. Uh, missed a game with a hamstring last game, if I'm not mistaken, or I just didn't see him because I rarely watch special team reps unless I'm trying to figure out if Trayvon Hester is on the field goal unit, which he is and has been since week seven. Defensive tackle, Fletcher Cox still dealing with that hit knock. I wouldn't worry about him at all. Jason Kelsey, again, with the knee, played 100% of the snaps or something like that last game. Not worried about that. Mike Wallace joins the list here that he's been recently activated. They're not sure. They're saying he's day-to-day, quote-unquote, for this game. Definitely probably could make a return for the Eagles if they make it to the wild card, but still might be able to make a go of it in this upcoming game. That would be big for some of the wide receiver depth, and you also add another burner, Ben.
0: Yes, but when they added Golden Tate, <laughs> they went super heavy 11 personnel. They had 21 snaps in either 12 or 13 personnel combined. Over the first two games, the Golden Tate was fully integrated into the offense. That was like week 10 and 11 or week 11 and 12, something like that. Yeah, I'm down for Wallace being added, but if they're like, yo... We need to create some more Wallace snaps. Got to make sure Jordan Matthews is continuing to get his snaps as well. We should probably bite into Dallas Goddard's snaps. I'm going to pop off. Alright, yep. I'm going to go bananas. I don't anticipate <laughs> them doing that because they're on a two-game winning streak, which sounds stupid, but it's a very good two-game winning streak. Both of them, 12 personnel has been a huge part of the offense. It's been an increasing part of the offense over the past three, four weeks. Uh, and Dallas Goddard's playing great football. He honestly, he played... His, probably one of his worst games against the Texans, we're being frank, but generally he's playing better football as a rookie. Uh, the 12 personnel uh, sets tend to be just simply more effective on a success rate basis than the 11 personnel sets. So I'm happy Mike Wallace is back, but I, I I want him to be used as a rotation piece in a offense that maintains the current usage of 11 and 12 personnel that it currently is using. If they find the need to like integrate him like, I guess like in week 17, as long as you beat the Redskins, I'm fine with it. But if it's like, all right, wild card game, Bears haven't seen Wallace, let's surprise them. <laughs> Or we could do the thing that's that's been actually been working for the first time ever on offense. You know, it's one of the two.
1: I'm shocked to hear you say that, and I'm sure the listeners are shocked when we've pounded the table for twelve personnel for no less than three months. I,
0: I I'm officially <laughs> I'll, I see the end of the season in sight, right? Like I see like this could be the end, and then every week progressively, obviously, could be the end. So I'm realizing I have a very limited time left to talk about twelve personnel. <laughs> one and two, they're actually using it in, in in the Dallas game and the Los Angeles game. They used it a vast majority of. Uh, over the uh, uh a vast amount more than they used 11 personnel right 11 overtook 12 in this most recent Texans game but 12 still went up like 45 percent of the snaps were in 12 personnel it's crazy
1: well because there's 13 personnel snaps too you combine those two it's more than the 11 personnel use yeah
0: right 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 but the, the moral of the story being like they're finally using it it's been very successful and I only have so much time left in the season so I really got a hammer <laughs> in the final points Mike The other one that's, like, interesting and weird, and I never thought I would be saying this, and this has been the most backward season ever. Man, I really hope... Okay, I gotta... Hang on. Man, I really hope Isaac Sayomalo gets healthy and comes back. Steve Wisniewski wasn't really good in relief at left guard. Whoa! Like, what? What? (laughs) Remember when when Sayomalo stepped in for Wisniewski? And we were like, hmm, like, that's not good. Sayomalo was worse. But Wiz had a rough day. Obviously, when you're coming out in like, you know, uh, in relief and you haven't been working with the unit, like I get it. That was a drop off in play from Samala to Wisniewski in that Texans game, which, wow. You know, shout out to Sam Alla, who we simply haven't talked about in a month. And I know we haven't talked about him in a while because I can't remember how to pronounce his name. <laughs> He's been playing well. And when you play well as an offensive lineman, you don't get talked about. That's the sad reality. So, shout out to Sam Allo. I hope he is healthy. Uh, Obviously, a good interior defensive lineman for the Redskins. I hope he's healthy for the playoff run as well because, Knockwood, because he's been playing well. So, there you go.
1: Not on the injury report, not because we don't have it yet, which we don't, but he's not going to be on the injury report for the Washington Redskins, is DJ Swearinger, the safety. Shout out, DJ. One of the key pieces on that defense, he was released for criticizing the defensive coordinator, Mandusky, in post-game comments, which is interesting for the Redskins, an organization like the Redskins, to make that stand. A little weird. But he was then picked up by the Arizona Cardinals, so we won't have to see him sniffing around the box in Week 17. That is a plus for the Eagles, of course. We'll get into all of that when we preview that game. Later on this week, obviously on BGN uh-huh. Radio as well. But let's get to this all twenty-two film review of this win, thirty-two to thirty for the Eagles to keep them alive against the Houston Texans. And first things first, let's look at this quarterback duel between Deshaun Watson and Nick Foles. And both of these guys, I thought, played some Deshaun played out of his mind. Yeah, and just looked at the uh, I looked at the next next gen stats. They have a metric called expected completion percentage, which we've talked about before and takes into account X-Comp. A, n- a number of factors and player tracking to tell us how well a quarterback did against the baseline established for their attempts. Watson, plus 13.6 differential in XCOM, third best of the week. Foles, plus eight, good for sixth on the week. And neither were afraid to throw into tight windows, which hadn't been the case for Watson leading up to this. He winds up with a much higher than usual aggressiveness percentage, foals slightly higher as well. Intended air yards were about 10.7 for Watson, which was a serious uptick for him there too. And we'll get into foals here, but Watson was aggressive, elusive, accurate left the field with a lead i felt he did everything he could in this game and unfortunately for him it's not going to be looked at as a special performance because a loss colors everything in a different shade ben
0: i love how you snuck left of the field with the lead in there yeah when we're going to talk about nick Foles, obviously a player who for like his entire 2015 2014 season with Philadelphia was, listen, Foles left the field with the lead, right? (laughs) Foles left the field with the lead, right? So I really appreciate you. Like it was like, oh, like elusive, accurate, a bunch of other quarterback stuff, left the field with the lead. That that was cool. Watson played a fantastic game. Watson played one of the best games uh, I saw of him in terms of film review. And the main thing that I said about Watson was that he was a first read and scramble guy. And I thought that was his main weakness. I thought he did a fantastic job being a first read to second read to yep. scramble guy, which like you know that isn't even uh, I'm not even trying to poke fun there a little bit. Like he absolutely was able to move off his first progression at times, and it was taken away. And I thought Philadelphia defensively, Mike, did a fantastic job taking away his first progression uh, when they were dropping seven, when they were dropping six. Like we talked about a little bit in the post game show, I was happy to see that. I think my my read on the defense from the broadcast uh, film was was pretty good in terms of. Watson really hurt them with his legs, mostly when they were in a situation where they were dropping seven in zones. Uh, and Watson really hurt them with his arm when they were in a situation where they were playing man and they had a spy. So, Watson got you with his legs there. But they did a great job taking away his first read, I thought, when they were in those zone coverages. I thought Schwartz called a fantastic game, even down the stretch. I thought even Schwartz was calling hits when it came to uh, the, the, the two fourth-quarter drives that scored. Simply, you had DeAndre Hopkins win so many plays. <laughs> yeah. You had Watson scrambling, and then that led to uh, you know the, the long throw to DeAndre Carter. There was another long throw to um, I don't Smith. remember what the long throw was. There were a couple. Yeah, exactly. There were a couple of, of plays. Yeah, Vincent Smith exactly that were um, scramble plays where he created where where they kind of became an improv play in the defensive backfield, and that's always tough on secondary members. So even then, I thought he was scheming well on those plays, Philadelphia's fourth quarter defense continuing to struggle is a Question mark? It's obviously still very important. Is it a mental thing at this point? Is it a conditioning thing? Is it about time of possession? You know, whatever. I thought he schemed it quite well in the fourth quarter. I didn't see anything like we lamented in the Tennessee game, where it just felt like he was giving up yardage or something like that. So, uh kudos go for that but generally speaking yeah and we said this after the game that should have been a a a watson drive where when the texans were playing in the afc championship game they looked back at that drive as like the moment where deshaun watson like decided he was going to take over the afc playoff picture you know what i mean that that final drive to go ahead touchdown to vincent smith was just i mean flawless i would say
1: okay so let's talk about the other quarterback in this situation enough love for watson played a great game But we recommended for the Eagles a quick passing game to supplant the run game. And that's what we got. 69-31 pass run split. The fifth quickest time to throw of the week. The third week in a row that the Eagles have been top five in that regard. This also means a lower intended air yard average for Foles. That's not always a bad thing. He was really efficient on the day. Ends with the second highest QBR of the year for an Eagles quarterback and his highest QBR in a regular season game since October of 2016, slinging it for 471, four touchdowns, one interception. So it wasn't a game without some hiccups, but like we talked about in the recap show, there were more than a handful of throws that showcased some beautiful touch and placement. I highlighted three of them in an article for BleedingGreenNation.com. Check that out. But Ben, we're always skeptical of box score scouting, but I think this is a case where the stats line up with the performance and we said it was going to have to be a big game for Foles because the Texans run defense. Yeah. And just touching on that real briefly, I mean, I was more down on the offense in general against the Rams than most. Not saying it was bad, but their success rates didn't match up. In this one, the the running struggled yet again. 31% success rate against the Rams, 27% success rate. Against the Texans, but passing goes from 38% to 46% in this game at 9.24 yards per play.
0: Is that good?
1: Yes, it's very good, Ben.
0: Almost a first down per play. It might be good. It's tough to tell.
1: So heavy passing game, the stats support that Foles had a big game when we needed to lean on the passing game. The film supports that same conclusion, Ben.
0: I like for everyone to turn their books. I'm doing the turn their books things now. Ooh. To quarter two, eight first and ten of the Houston thirty. This is the Philadelphia touchdown drive that took eighty-five plays to go ahead and punch <laughs> that puppy into the end 85 zone. Plays? This is um, yeah, it took eighty-five plays <laughs> to touch the yeah to score on this drive. Literally, it was like all right, feels like the drive should be over, and then there were seven more plays to finally get this freaking ball into the end zone.
1: Yeah, we were in the red zone for eighty-four years for sure.
0: Sp- Speaking of Dallas Goddard, man, the fourth and two, and he's wide open into the flat, and it's just free money, yeah. and Goddard trips. He's like, oh, you <laughs> poor baby. Like, oh, like my six-foot-five, 260-pound baby. Like, no, just turn around. All of a sudden. And then he, like, he like, like on the ground. He like reaches the ball and puts it over the goal line. It was the most pathetic thing I've ever seen. But 825, first and 10. We're going to be in a situation, Philadelphia's formation into the boundary, something that I wrote about uh, that they use really well. Where you've got three players, you've got your tight end, a wide receiver, and your running back are all offset to the left side of the formation, which is the shorter side of the formation. And then two receivers are out to the field, which is the wider side of the formation. And that's irregular. Usually you put more players into the wider side because there's more space to operate there. But Philadelphia uses formation into the boundary really well uh, to generate space in areas that you wouldn't expect. And it puts the defense in weird bind situations because the passing strength and the running strength is to the narrow area of the field. And so the defense wants to set their strength over there, but then you're often weak to the field, to, yeah. be, to the wide area of the field, because you have less players over there covering more space. And so in this situation, Philadelphia runs a little bit of a play action. Zach Ertz comes off of an inline alignment, and he just drops right into the middle area of the field, which is wide open. The linebacker suckered, suckered up on play action, and the, the slot corner, the slot safety, that hook curl defender, is nowhere near the middle of the field because he had to line up super wide to deal with the only two receivers out there into the field. But this throw from Nick Foles was a throw I played it over 8 times and I was like this is just this like beautiful. How many times have I seen Nick Foles Retreat and backpedal and run away and be super scared and not ready for this at all. But he pulls that. He's eyeing Zach Cunningham, weak side or strong side linebacker, excuse me, because formation of the boundary. <laughs> Cunningham read the play action and he starts to gain width because he's worried about a quick out route from Zacheritz. That's what makes more sense off this little play action RPO-y sort of a look, right? Steve Wisniewski is getting walked back into Nick Foles' lap and Foles off platform, off timing. Feet pointed towards nowhere, just loops a little daisy right into, and right into Zachary's hands uh, in between two converging Houston Texans. And it's simply such a calm play from a quarterback who is so notorious for panicking. And I mean – Foles went and panicked on like the interception, uh, for Zach Ertz, right? right? The, the, uh, Bernard McKinney pick. That was a straight panic throw. That was classic Nick Foles. But this is like veteran Nick Foles. Yeah. This is, you know, and Foles even isn't that old. We forget about that. He's, you know, he wasn't, he was drafted only like three years before Carson was or whatever. But this is, this is a situation where, there's a lot of poise here and there's a lot of understanding of the offense and trust in your receivers and for Foles to make this throw so accurate, dropping it right there between the levels is just to me, like he had a lot of throws, but this throw stood out as development from a player that we don't think about as still developing.
1: No, I think it's beautiful. Put it right over McKinney two on that. That's, that's beautiful by Nick Foles there. He had a, like I said, over a handful of, of those types of throws in this game and from off platform too i mean the wheel to sprawls on the left sideline that he dropped in there was off platform too because okay. he was getting pressure on that one
0: four years i missed four years uh <laughs> drafted earlier than carson not three, four.
1: All oh, good way to get that in there so you don't have to do a correction and omissions on the next show ben because you know i'll hold you my to
0: producer it. my producer pulled it up
1: so what comes and we, we talked about the quick passing game what comes with the time to throw that's among the fastest in the league you get lower pressure rates as we talk about a lot on here over the last three weeks the Eagles offensive line is second in pro football focuses pass blocking efficiency metric and when you watch this game two very interesting matchups produced polar opposite results so some good right and some bad here let's go over on both the bad Halapuli Vati Vaitai against Dave Young Clowney and I posted a clip <gasps> where Clowney blew right by Big V on an inside swim, which was second quarter, 14-18. That blew up a little bit on Twitter. And today, former Eagles linebacker Seth Joyner chimed in and said this about the play.
0: Listen, Seth, wait, we should preface by saying if you're not following Seth Joyner on Twitter, add Seth Joyner. Fantastic follow. Yeah. Because Seth Joyner basically follows every member of Philadelphia media and just Goes to town on every single one of their takes. He has like four takes that he thinks are are right and he just shares them all the time. He's my favorite follow in the entire world.
1: (laughs) So he said, quote, that's a damn shame. Just look the coach in the eye and tell him you don't want to play. Find a replacement. (gasps) But that's pure horse expletive right there. S-M-F-H-R-N, unquote. Went to town on Big V. Wait,
0: uh, wait, what was the acronym?
1: S-M-F-H-R-N. R-N, shaking my head right now with an expletive in there.
0: Right, okay. I thought you said R-A-N, and I was like, I don't know what the A is. Okay.
1: You look at at Clowney and Vitae, they had enough reps, bro. They had enough reps in that game to make an A-N-1 mixtape out of it. But the good, let's get to the good quick, too, and we can kind of talk about both of these. The good was Lane Johnson against J.J. Watt, and what a fun battle I thought that was. And I thought Lane won that battle hands down in pass pro. Lane was credited with only two pressures, both to Watt. And one of them was that weird red zone play where we were looking for that motion screen to Jeffrey that we've hit for a touchdown
0: twice this year. Yeah, the shield fake.
1: Yeah, the, the shield, yep.
0: Houston was all over that. 37 or 39 played that better than I think anybody could have ever imagined. I have no idea how he sniffed that out. <laughs> I mean Whatever look, the corner was
1: it definitely was a tendency he must have seen it a lot. I mean that's just a good film study and sniffing it out based on formational tendencies and play calling tendencies in the red zone but so Foles holsters it right Watt gets the pressure but I mean Lane is expecting that ball out super quick so he cuts J.J. Watt Foles holds onto the ball, gets pressure, whatever. That's one of the two pressures on the day that Lane surrendered. If that's one of the pressures out of the two, if that's 50% of the pressures, I am taking that all day from Lane Johnson. I thought he had a fantastic game.
0: Right, and that even that set that we're talking about right here, Lane cut into that set, right? Mm -hmm. And so Lane, that's a cut block situation because the expectation is fake the shield screen. And then throw the 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 ghost route, the ghost corner route that Nelson Aguilar is running, that is built into the fake. So the ball is supposed to be out quick. So Lane's not even trying to sustain a block there. It's basically just drop JJ Watt, just just hit him in the in the waist, get him down if you can. If not, he's got a belly all the way out before he can get to the quarterback. Right. And then by the time Foles turns around, like you know, he's Foles already ready to throw that football away because he knows. That lane's not there to sustain the block anyway. So, sure, accredited pressure, but like he accredited pressure because he did his freaking job. You yeah. know what I mean? Pass protection on the day, you know, I think from right tackle to center just shows you that, sure, the Eagles only have one Pro Bowler there, but they have three guys there who are in the Pro Bowl discussion every year and deservedly so. Right. In terms of, I think Jason Kelsey is probably the best. Fullback the lead has ever seen. He just also snaps the football to the quarterback. His <laughs> ability in space to lead block yeah. is shocking. Um, Brandon Brooks, I, I, and what what I love the most about Brandon Brooks is his ability on double teams to generate vertical displacement because you'll notice there's this young man in the Eagles' backfield, his name is Josh Adams, and he can't pick up any yardage without making it 100 times more difficult than he has to. Uh, and whenever he runs off the left side of the formation, especially when Big B and Steve Wisniewski are out there playing, There's so much dancing back there, and there's so much trying to cut outside and nonsense and whatever. When he gets to go behind the right side of the formation, things are a lot sunnier for him. And it's because Brandon Brooks is road paving. And that's fantastic strength to have, I think, next to Jason Kelsey. And then you already brought up Lane. I don't think the offensive line, to be honest, is really playing that much better than they were Previously, it's
1: just the time to throw,
0: as I spoke about, yeah. And 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 like you said, time to throw drastically even decreased for Carson in terms of in the Dallas game before he he uh he exited you know he exited the starting lineup. But I really think that, yeah, you have the time to throw has greatly gone down, the 12 personnel usage has greatly gone up. I think that's two, and then three is. Nick Foles, I think, is far more willing to, and I just mentioned it, throw the football away. He's far more willing to just not take a sack and let it be a pressure instead. And that just makes the offensive line look better on metrics, period. But Carson, and we talked about this, whether it's a result of the way that he's always played, which I think it is a little bit, and whether it's a result of the injuries, which I think it also is a little bit. Carson this season has had his worst season in terms of subtly navigating the pocket, not talking about escapes here, talking about subtly navigating the pocket, being willing to move his feet a little bit to help his offensive linemen with their angles and with their positioning, and with their landmarks. And finally, Carson just needs to learn how to eat a play, yeah. throw it away, get it to the feet of some wide receiver, you know, get it out of bounds instead of trying to extend everything and escape everything, and then you put your offensive line in bad situations where you're out running where you shouldn't be running because they can't sustain those blocks. So I think that that all contributes to what we've seen, the the offensive line play improve from a metric standpoint. I really don't think film-wise they're doing that much differently or that much better. We've been talking about uh, twists and stunts and dealing with those, and I think those have improved, but that's like always like a a fluctuating thing to me. The point on Big V that I'd like to make is simply this. Uh, He gets a lot of... He he traded a lot on the equity that he shut down Danielle Hunter, Everson Griffin, Everson Griffin uh, against the Vikings in the playoffs, and as you know, we've kind of always said that was a game where he received a ton of help. In this game, you could see him receive a ton of help a lot. Like when I said that formation into the boundary, uh, you'll notice that's the left side of the formation. That means there's a tight end and a running back both to Vitai's side, which gives you the freedom out of that formation to provide a lot of help to your left tackle. So another thing to consider there. When he did not get help, however, he was regularly losing yeah. and simply like you can be fine with Vitai if you want to be. Like Vitai has good reps that are undeniable on tape that are fine. But if this is a guy who you're always worried about when he's up against elite edge rushers, then he's always going to be a guy you want to improve upon. Mm. And so, accordingly, do the Eagles need to draft the left tackle of the future of this draft? I mean, maybe not in terms of like, oh, you can survive with Vitae out there. And, oh, you have Jordan Milat and Matt Pryor. Maybe they can develop into something. But whenever Vitae's on the field, you're going to be thinking about him. And you don't want to have to be thinking about your left tackle. It's so like if you each pick one position on the field that you don't want to have to cater to it's offensive tackle right like that is is the position where if a guy can just take away a dude it's huge for you it it opens up the playbook tremendously right and so if eagles go into 2019 with vitaisers starting left tackle fine but that just means that instead of drafting the guy of the future in 2019 draft they're gonna draft him in the 2020 draft like it's not a matter of if but a matter of when in my opinion and this game goes to show that point
1: Great points, and I agree. It limits what you can do with your playbook when Thank he's out you. there, and you don't. And you don't want I that. I worked
0: really hard on it,
1: Ben. Defensively, let's flip sides of the ball. Eleven pressures on the day for Brandon Graham in a plus plus matchup with. Is that, <laughs> is that, is that good, Ben? I'm here to tell you, that's very good. Now, who was not very good is right tackle Kendall Lamb, who we featured in the preview shows. He was struggling big time, and look, the big play came on the strip sack, which Graham didn't force. But this is something that we mentioned in the preview show, too. Multi-level rushes. And on this play, they, they were flipped. Graham was on working against the left tackle, taking an inside track. Long working against Lamb on the right side, taking a speed rush track. So working more over the top, which created a situation where they had Watson unable to step up into the pocket And it led him right into Chris Long's path. So I I thought that was a good example of what we were talking about before the show, how you get those multi-level rushes. Even though there wasn't an interior pressure, Graham got so quick inside and collapsed that pocket that was able to force Watson in a situation where he had to move to his left, not his right. And that's where you want Watson to be moving is away from his ball hand.
0: Yeah. And if you watch uh, that ref specifically, and even if you watch, I think the, 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 total of, of kind of a lot of the pass rush reps and clear pass rush downs this is a third and 13 we're talking about number one, uh, old Jimbo who you know I made the I've made the claim like listen Jim Schwartz is not a wide nine coach anymore he doesn't rely on the wide nine Jimbo is all about the wide nine in this game which does that have something to do with Watson's ability to escape maybe like a little bit but also when the offensive line really sucks and you're really not blitzing at all yeah, I mean, like he loves his 2-3 techs and his 2-9 techs and basically force the center to choose. Usually the center is going to choose Fletcher Cox. Yep. Uh, and then you're going to have 1-1 on with Brandon Graham, 1-1 on with Chris Long, and 1-1 on with Michael Bennett. And that's a pretty good situation to be in, especially against an offensive line that's weak from left to right. In this situation, what you saw, I think, Brandon Graham do a lot is Graham kept on coming inside on Lamb, which was bothering me during the game because when you come inside – well, you're just giving up that outside contain, and Watson was escaping to his left very frequently. And like you said, we like him going to his left, but then he was just tucking and running. Yeah, and he generated scores off of, a score off of that. He generated first downs off of that. Yeah, what you see happen here, I think, are two things that allow or at least mitigate the issue with Graham going inside. So Graham sets this guy up, Lamb up, three steps, then counter inside, immediately generates inside pressure. Watson cannot get to his second read. Graham is right there immediately. But Fletcher Cox, the three technique to Graham's side, takes the double team, but keeps himself clean. He's not head down bull rushing. He's eyes up, and he's moving to his right. So as to anticipate Watson escaping to the outside that's one two chris long takes the widest freaking path you will ever (laughs) see in your entire life way outside the the wide receiver who's lined up or the tight end who's lined up to the line of scrimmage right way outside the offensive tackle way past the peak of the pocket but he is expecting watson to be able to move to his left because that's what's watson been doing against the brandon graham inside rush anyway and so once watson moves away from the graham rush he's at a position where he still thinks he can throw but he's got Long behind him and Cox in front of him. Like, the, the rush is there. So it's clear to me that they're on the sideline. Like, Graham's saying, listen, like, I'm going to go inside on Lamb... Be ready for Watson to get out to his left. If you just follow the outside path, Chris. If you just you know just like stay off the double and move right, you guys will be able to get him. I can move him off his spot. Just yeah. know that this is where he's going next, and and so that's where you're talking about sequencing your rushes with a, with a mobile quarterback like Watson. First guy isn't necessarily going to bring him down every single time. And honestly, if you look, uh, if you look later in the game, you have a very similar situation on that heroic. A third and 11, where Watson keeps the drive alive, and with that deep pass to, to Jordan Aikens, you had a nine-tech, three-tech, nine-tech, and this time, Fletcher Cox is the one-tech sitting on top of the center. Brandon Graham takes an outside rush this time, but if you look, Philadelphia's got Michael Bennett and Chris Long both working, anticipating to see Watson escape the pocket, and so even though Watson is able to break three or four tackles, you can see how Philadelphia, late in the game, is starting to anticipate the fact that Watson's gonna get outside of the pocket. Fletcher Cox is not engaging anybody, Cox is solely trying to play quarterback spy right now because they know Watson's going to make their first guy miss. So you change the way you're calibrating your pressure a little bit, and it makes life easier.
1: What's funny about that rep, number one, they've got three guys center right because they know Watson likes to escape to his right. But what you saw in this game, and you saw this early too, is you watch Long get upfield, right? And his initial rush gets, gets stopped. But what he immediately does after that is... Is start to work back inside with his eyes to Watson. I thought he did a good job throughout the game, yeah. trying trying to do that. I don't. I have no idea how Watson escaped. Number one, Bennett. Number two, Long. I mean, Watson is facing the other direction of where he needs to be facing. Long has a free shot on him, and Watson is just able to wiggle away, reset, and then make Michael Bennett miss again, and then and then and then just throw one up there. Beautiful play. Right, as
0: if, as if he's been watching the rad develop the entire time. Like, <laughs> this is a play where you watch and you're like, listen, Things screw happen. this. <laughs> right? Like, how dare you? It's obnoxious.
1: So, moving past that, Ben, Avante Maddox, another big day for him. He had some help against Hopkins. He's okay. The, he's all right. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's, some he's, he, he might be good. but I mean, you look at it like, what was it, fourth quarter with 521 remaining? He's like, this is a great play, but he's able to trail Hopkins, who was on a 10-yard out, He's able to undercut this knowing that he has Graham over the top. He gets the pass break up. I think that the Eagles right. really found a nice versatile move piece in Maddox. And this is our second mm-hmm. week in a row praising about him for playing out of position when he when he shouldn't be. Right. And good job for Jim giving him the support that he needed in these situations.
0: Which, by the way, you absolutely owe me a Coke or some trivial thing because you thought this was cover three cloud and it's not. It's quarter, quarter, half, all game long, boy.
1: I was going off the broadcast version and now you're coming at me with the all- Yeah, sort of I'm coming with sauce.
0: I'll come with Saw. This is quarter, quarter, half. So we talked about cover three cloud. Let's talk about quarter, quarter, half. Uh, For reminders, uh, cover three cloud is where instead of two corners dropping back into the outside thirds and one deep safety dropping back into the middle third, two safeties at the snap shift over into an outside, into a middle third. And then that corner to that side of the shift is gets to stay downfield and act like a trap coverage guy. And Philadelphia was using Avante as that sort of trap coverage guy because he's got really nice quickness, he's got really nice instincts, kind of playing that short intermediate area. That's where he's been good as a corner. Quarter-quarter-half is also a three-deep coverage, and it can also be run out of two safeties. It just looks a little bit different in terms of it's what's often called cover six because it's, me- it's a merge between cover four, that's quarter-quarter, and cover two, that's half. Often run against trips, which the Texans gave them a ton of just trips with Hopkins isolated backside, trips with Demarius Thomas backside when Demarius Thomas was what there.
1: concepts with trips and, yeah, a lot of that.
0: Right. And Philadelphia responded with quarter-quarter half, something we saw them do against the Giants and Odell Beckham Jr. So on the quarter-quarter side, or let's start on the cover two sides, a little bit easier to think about. That's the Avante Maddox getting to play underneath that route that we talked about because he's sitting there playing a, just a pure flat zone. He doesn't really worry about anything else to the middle of the field. He's just staying flat underneath that one receiver to his side, potentially keeping eyes on the halfback releasing out of the flat. But even then, it's not going to be one of his primary responsibilities. Yeah. So – He gets to play underneath any vertical stem from that isolated backside one receiver with a safety over the top in half field coverage. So that safety does have some more responsibility. It's not going to get too far off the hash, but if that's a pure nine ball, the expectation is the safety is going to be able to get there in a lot of those throws. Even when he did... Hopkins made some incredible catches. You saw that in the fourth quarter. They were really attacking the honey hole there on the cover two side. But that's the quarter two side of it. The other side of the field with the three wide receivers is quarters coverages. And you have anywhere from five to four players dropping into the quarters area. If you've got five, it's two deep guys in in each and a quarter of the field. And then you have a hook zone, a curl zone, and a flat zone. So you've got five over three in that sort of a situation really to your advantage and Philadelphia enjoyed that very much because Watson would look to that side see nothing when he escaped the escape but when he didn't it was pressure it was incom- incompletions and then if you got four you're doing hook curl curl flats more cover three responsibilities underneath but again it's those two deep guys often a safety in the outside corner running quarters coverage so it's a three deep coverage but instead of each player having a deep third one safety has a deep half and then there's two deep quarters cover uh quarter quarter half cover six because half cover two half cover four Philadelphia rolled with it against the Texans very successfully.
1: What's interesting to me is you saw that clip go around and the clip is like isolated on Maddox and and, and the clip is like, yo, Maddox, this is, you know, it's freaking out over this one rep with DeAndre Hopkins, but he's got over-the-top help, so it's like, okay, calm it down a little bit. He had a good game. right? That that makes a lot of sense why he could play it like that. Credit to Jimbo for putting him in a situation to succeed and not have to play Hopkins one-on-one all the time.
0: Yeah, and and the thing about Maddox is that Maddox had... Many, many high quality coverage reps, like that one that kind of went around in the past breakup this yeah. is this this description of quarter quarter half is not to take away from Maddox at all. um, but it's understand like evaluating corners off highlight film is so difficult because Maddox didn't get targeted that much when he was covering Hopkins because he was getting help over the top and because he was sticky underneath, like yeah. both, and the one time that. Not the one time, but one of the few times that Deshaun went that way against quarter-quarter half coverage. Maddox played his responsibility well, utilized his quickness, and got a pass breakup out of it with yep. his twenty-nine and a half inch arms, which is now a theme of the show for whatever reason, <laughs> right? And so that goes around. Like, look at Maddox. Maddox been blanketing Hopkins all day, and he got this pass breakup. Well, really, like if Watson's if Watson's not trying to feed Hopkins on that route, which he really shouldn't be trying to hit that route, then we never see that rep. And if we're evaluating purely off of highlights. We never know that Maddox is having that sticky of a day until we get to the All-22. So Maddox had a great game just for what reasons? Like, what's the right. evidence here? And we were talking about process over results. Pass breakups were great. Numbers and coverage were great. Why? Because he's very sticky, because he's very quick, and also because he got that help. Yeah. And so Maddox is an outside corner, you know, something I've heard a lot about. Well, oh, he just had a great game against DeAndre Hopkins. He did, because he had safety help over the top for a lot of it. And DeAndre Hopkins is is, is primarily a vertical receiver do you want to be in an offense where you always need to have at least a cover two safety over your outside corner, or excuse me, a defense where you right. always want to have a cover two safety over your outside corner. You don't. And that's why Maddox makes more sense as a slot receiver. He's always going to have safety help over the top when he's playing in the slot. Only real situation would be like a cover zero blitz or like, you know, cover one man against a slot fade, like an outside breaking route. Otherwise he's pretty much always got safety help. Right. And so that's where he makes a lot of sense as a slot corner, which is a starting position in today's NFL. And that's where I think Maddox should end up. So, Great game for Maddox, but it's important to understand quarter quarter half coverage and how Maddox was used against DeAndre Hopkins to contextualize his performance rasul douglas didn't get the same sort of quarter quarter half stuff right because he's a different style of player and it wouldn't have made sense mm. you know rasul's not the sticky guy maddox says he's not going to be great you know flitting underneath deandre hopkins routes that's not his game so he didn't play him a quarter quarter half that way so understand your players understand how they're used
1: love it love it love it ben i think that's going to do it for this all 22 film review show of the texans and the eagles big win for the eagles of course keep their playoff hopes alive Next up, well, Ben's going to tell you what we have next up. Ben, would you say goodbye to the gentle listeners?
0: Gentle listeners, this uh, there are 598 reviews on iTunes right now. Ratings, 598 ratings, 232 reviews, which is so super sick. And if two of you were to come and rate and review right now, if you were to just, just right now be wasting your time and want to find another way to race like three more minutes – and you were going to iTunes, and you were to rate the podcast, five stars only, and then review the podcast, five stars only, we would have 600 ratings, which is bananas, B-A-N-A-N-A-S. And we have 234 reviews, which is in order, which really appeals to me. So for two of you who have not rated and reviewed the podcast, uh, please go ahead and do that. If you have already, make a second iTunes account. Change your entire Apple ID on your devices. Make your life impossibly miserable and inconvenient so that you can rate and review the show. That would mean the world to us. We are approaching the final week of the regular season, potentially the final week of the Philadelphia Eagles season knockwood. So, uh upcoming there will be one preview show for the Redskins and the Eagles. Uh, the reason being number 1, we expect the Eagles to win this game. The Redskins are very bad. Number 2, we have previewed the Redskins before, so we're very familiar with their stuff. And number 3, I'm traveling a lot for family, and Mike is watching the little baby, and so we are very, very busy, uh, which obviously December and the holidays are a very busy time for everybody, so we appreciate you listening and finding the time, but also understand we're doing our stuff. So one preview show, uh, including everything you should expect from the Redskins' offense and the Redskins' defense. Eagles should win this game. They're on a hot streak. They know they need to win this. Redskins obviously going to try to play spoiler, but it's tough to play spoiler when your quarterback is named Josh Johnson. And of course, uh, in the words of head coach Jay Gruden, are the Redskins interested in playing spoiler? His quote was a little, which is the most defeat thing I've ever heard. A little! A little? We're more interested in going eight and eight than playing spoiler. You're more interested in going getting to 500 than you are knocking a divisional rival out of the playoffs? Who are you? What are you talking? What are you doing? Okay, so. Rate and review the podcast. Listen to our episodes. Listen to the, uh, the BGN radio main show yeah. with, uh, BLG, May He Forever Rain and John Stoll, John Stoles uh, in the full sprawl season. Uh, <laughs> listen to those shows as well. We will get you all ready for the Redskins game. We will also, I would imagine, talk a good deal about Minnesota Chicago as it approaches and more news breaks. And then, uh, the post game show, whether good news or bad news, in fair weather or in rain, uh, after the Redskins game, where the Eagles' fate is decided, you will have kissed and I, of course, and then we'll be able to tell you the plan for the rest of the playoff season slash offseason. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak, as that's the case, Michael Kisten on Twitter, and Michael Kist, NFL, it's K-I-S-T. We will catch you later this week.
1: We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly.
0: Imagine. Imagine imagine DJ wow. Swearinger. Imagine DJ Swearinger getting fired or cut. For being like, these coaches don't prepare us well for the games. It gets and, cut. And the
1: motivational speech is, well, you know, we kind of right. want to play spoiler. Yeah.
0: Two, ga- two days later, he's asked point blank by Philadelphia Media, like, how interested are you guys in playing spoiler? And he's like, well, a little. F- are you Drum? kidding me? <laughs> a little. Redskins dysfunctional justin herbert not coming out giants will remain dysfunctional dallas cowboys owned by jerry jones coached by jason garrett will forever be dysfunctional philadelphia's winning the nfc east in 2019 book it yeah i shouldn't have said that hello
1: i'm spencer hall from sb nation and i want to tell you about my new show it seemed smart